declared by Jesus to seven churches in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And in these letters, Jesus is addressing the spiritual condition of each church, and he calls them, those churches, and he's calling us to live for him, to be overcomers for him in the midst of a godless culture. And what we have seen and what we're going to continue to see is that Jesus knows his church. He has an opinion concerning his church. He is declaring a message to his church, and we must hear him. He must be heard. Him speaking to his church is a picture of grace and drawing us to himself. I think of the words of D.A. Carson who said this, and please, please hear these words. He says, people do not drift towards holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate toward godliness, prayer, obedience to Scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. We drift toward compromise and call it tolerance. We drift towards disobedience and call it freedom. We drift towards superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch towards prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide towards godlessness and convince ourselves we've been liberated. I think we need to hear that this morning. People do not drift towards holiness. We drift towards ungodliness. We drift towards fleshly things. We drift towards unholy things. God draws us to himself. And this morning we come to the fourth church, the church of Thyatira. Thyatira was the smallest and least known, least remarkable, least important of the seven cities to receive a letter from the Lord. Thyatira, kind of to to picture it this way, Thyatira was to Ephesus, Pergamum, Smyrna, the three churches we've already looked at. Thyatira was to those places like Ocean Way is to Las Vegas. You know, it just, just doesn't compute, not in the same breath. You know, people don't say, hey, I'm going to Vegas and I'm going to visit Ocean Way. Um, you know, it just doesn't work that way. Thyatira was an uneventful city with little mention in antiquity. So this city um, does not share the glamour of any other city in Asia Minor. It was a blue-collar labor town and just a trade city. So John's description of Jesus' feet as light burnished bronze that we're going to read about today in verse 18 when Jesus declares that may have been familiar to this town because this town was filled with bronze trade. In fact, we're going to speak in just a few minutes about the, the trades or the guilds or the workers' unions that existed in this city. Perhaps one of the first people from Thyatira excuse me, to put their faith in Christ was a woman named Lydia. She was a seller of purple. Acts 16, 14 says that the Lord opened her heart to receive Christ when Paul was preaching the gospel in Philippi, and she was from Thyatira. So it's strange um, indeed that the longest and most difficult to understand of these seven letters is written to the church in the smallest and least significant of the seven cities. But as we're about to see, this does not seem to be the judgment of Jesus concerning his church. And here's what I want you to understand. Big or small, well-known or not known at all, every church is important to Jesus. Every church is important to him. And this is a reminder for us, some 2,000 years removed from this letter, that faithfulness matters to Jesus. No matter where we live, no matter what cultural influence we may have or may not have, God has the same expectation for you as his body. 
in all places, in all times, God wants all of his people to be committed to all of his word. Let me say it again. In all places, in all times, God wants all of his people, including you and me, to be committed to all of his word. So what I want to do now is I want us to turn to the word and hear the words of Christ to his corrupted church, which is what Thyatira was. And if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor God's word together. We're going to read verses 18 through 29 of this letter. And these are the words of Christ to his church then and to his church now. Verse 18, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and your faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with an I- a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Fathers, we come before you this morning. Jesus, as we come before you, Holy Spirit, as we come, we have ears. Lord, we have ears. Therefore, we want to hear. We must hear what you are saying, Lord, what you said to the church 2,000 years ago and what you are saying to us this very day. We must hear your word. Lord, I pray, God, that nothing would hinder your word from taking root in our lives, God. Lord, we pray that today, Lord, your word would not find its place in a shallow soil, would not find its place, God, with cares and concerns of this world, but Lord, that your word would find its place in our hearts, fertile soil, able to produce, God, the fruit that you desire. Lord, speak for we're listening. Speak, God, for we're listening. Holy Spirit, move among your people this day. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. In his book, Hitler's Cross, which is a weird way to kind of transition, Dr. Erwin Lutzer described how Adolf Hitler, get this, he used the church in Germany to advance his agenda. Ultimately, through much of Nazism, it was the church that was Hitler's leading advocate. And not just any church, it was the Germany Evangelical Church. Eventually, a group of believers, including Martin Niemöller and Dietrich Bonhoeffer, that's out to for Brother Dave back there, they broke from the Germany Evangelical Church and they formed the Confessing Church. For this act of treason and a few others, Niemöller spent eight years in a concentration camp and Bonhoeffer spent two years in a concentration camp and was hanged on April 9, 1945. On the back of this book's jacket, the publisher wrote these words, Hitler's cross is the story of a nation 
whose church forgot its primary call and discovered its failure too late. A nation whose church forgot its primary calling and discovered its failure too late. And this is what we have to realize. The greatest danger of any church today is not rejecting major beliefs. Listen, they're major beliefs for a reason. So if somebody comes in our midst and begins to say, well, Jesus wasn't the Son of God, we're going to go, well, hang on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We, we know that one. Or Jesus didn't die for our sins. Or Jesus isn't coming back. We're going to go, hang on. We, just, you know, we, we, we know different than that. And the major danger against the church isn't abandoning ongoing practices. Granted, we're Baptists. We're great at keep doing the same things over and over and over again. So we're not going to um, quit doing those things. The greatest danger to the church today is forgetting our true purpose, compromising, and beginning to add to what we believe and add to what we do. Let's just add this to it. Let's just add this to our beliefs. Add this to our thoughts. So back to this city, Thyatira was a blue-collar town full of various craftsmen such as wool workers, linen workers, cloth, uh, clothing makers, dyers, leather workers, tanners, potters, bakers, bronze smiths, merchants. Um, all of these centered around trades or unions. The late New Testament scholar Robert Mounts describes the major issue for Christians in Thyatira in this way. And it's a little long, but just, just hear this. One thing we can state with a sense of confidence, the problem in Thyatira centered on the guilds or the unions. For persons to maintain their livelihood, some connection to the guilds was a virtual necessity. For Christians, the problem was that this man mandated participation in the guild feast, which themselves involved meat offered to idols, since the patron gods of the guilds were always worshipped at the feast. At times, this could also involve immorality. The extent to which these feasts degenerated into debauchery and um, other things is questionable, and many have argued that commit adultery is the Old Testament metaphor for idolatry. However, it is more likely a reference to immoral practices. And he goes on to say this, Whenever Christians refused to participate in the feast because such participation would compromise their faith, they faced the anger of the pagan populace, and it had economic repercussions as many lost their jobs. Imagine living in a culture saying, hey, I'm not going to go to that party because it is godless and against God, and them saying, well, then you're fired. Imagine that. And how many of us would go, well, I'll come. What's the worst that could happen? So at Pergamum, this persecuted city we looked at two weeks ago, it was a life-threatening situation. At, at Thyatira, it was a picture of corruption just eroding the soul of the church. There was so much wrong in Thyatira, and instead of the church being light in the midst of so, so much deep darkness, the church let the darkness in. And let me say very clearly this morning, our calling is not to let darkness in. Our calling is to let the light out. Amen. So again, our calling is not to let darkness in. It's to let the light out. But if we're not letting the light out, then darkness will flood in. And that's not just for the church. That's for our individual lives. If we're not letting the light out, darkness will rush in. So what I want to do this morning is I want us to unpack Five truths related to the corrupted church at Thyatira. Two concerning Christ. Three concerning the church. And let's just jump in and, and get moving together. So number one, Christ is characterized by his awareness. He's characterized by his awareness. Look at verse 18 again. Or look at the screen. It says, And to the angel of the church at Thyatira write the words of the Son of 
God. So here, Jesus calls himself the Son of God. It's the only place in the book of Revelation where this exact title is used. This title stands in contrast to the pagan god Apollo, the son of Zeus, who was popular in Thyatira and was worshipped. So Thyatira, they worshipped Apollo, and they called him the Son of God. Yet it is Jesus, not Apollo, who is the true Son of God. Jesus is saying this to this city in Thyatira. He's saying, Apollo is a pathetic, mythological son of a God, and I am the eternal, majestic son of God. You have your choice. You worship the mythological one, or you can worship me. Jesus is the maker of heaven and earth. He rules and he reigns all people, all places, all times, and all cultures. And Jesus continues. He says this, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. So we quickly get the impression, and please hear this, that we're not dealing with just just an ever-smiley, snuggly, huggly bear Jesus. So this isn't a Jesus wearing a designer robe, throwing out magical fortune cookies while riding a unicorn. This isn't the picture that we are getting here. This is the kind of Jesus that the world wants. The world wants a feminine Jesus that would never... um, Stand against anything or or anyone and just all love all the time. We're going to get to that in in just a a moment. But here's the, the picture. This is the resurrected from death, ruling and reigning, living forever, judging the living and the dead, Lord Jesus. This is who he is. Listen to Hebrews 4.13. It's also on the screen. It says, no creature is hidden from his sight. None, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give an account. He sees it all. We must give an account to him. And we're told of his eyes that are blazing, and we're told of his feet like burnished bronze. And in Thyatira, there was a lot of bronze weapons. They would, they would make weapons out of bronze. And to this church, Jesus is coming on scene and he's saying I'm the one who judges and my judgment is certain and my judgment is unshakable. Jesus is saying I don't just have a perspective. I don't just have a bunch of nice thoughts or or mean thoughts concerning you. Jesus is saying I see you. I know you and I'm speaking truth to you because I am truth. When Jesus came on the scene in John 14 and verse 6 Jesus says I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is a truth, meaning Jesus isn't just a set of teachings. Truth is a person. So Christ is characterized by his awareness. He knows the truth of everyone in this room. In fact, Jesus knows our motives. He knows why you're here this morning. So Jesus knows why we're here today. He knows why we do what we do. He's characterized by his awareness. Secondly, looking at the church, the church is commended for its advancement. So the church is commended for its advancement. Look at verse 19 with me. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, all amazing things that the church should be known for and that your latter works exceed the first. So Jesus is saying the quality of life in the church is not diminishing. They were continuing to grow in good deeds. Um, This implies works um, in quantity, meaning they were doing more and more for, for Christ, and quality. Their works were getting better and better. This church was not standing still. They were pressing on. And a good question for us today in light of the church in Thyatira is this. Is your best work for Christ behind you or is your best work for Christ in front of you? That's a great question. Is our best work for Christ behind us or is it ahead of us? I hear way too many church members sit around and talk about what they did for Jesus 10 years ago. They don't have much to say about what they did for Jesus yesterday. 
May our, may our best work be ahead of us. If Jesus, if we are here and we believe Jesus has us here, we're here for a reason. And it's not just to take up space. It's not just to suck air out of a room. We are here to make much of him. So may our best works be ahead of us and not behind us. Think about this. While Jesus was on this earth, he, he fed the hungry, he healed the sick, he cast out demons, he welcomed into friendship women and children and sinners and the hurting and those marginalized and ostracized by society. Jesus welcomed them in. And part of our calling, part of your calling and my calling as Christians, as children of God, is to love as Christ loved. We're to love others as he loved us. We're um, to do for others in his grace and mercy what he has done for us. Let me say very clearly, one sign that we are growing in the Lord is that we spend our time serving and helping others, especially those in the body of Christ. That we spend our time serving Listen, we serve one another in different ways because God has granted us different gifts. When I look across this room, my first thought is this, God, thank you that everyone in this room is not like me because I would have quit a long time ago. If y'all were all like me, I would have given up. And if y'all were all like Pastor Jordan, I'd be gone even before that. So, I mean, thank God that you aren't all like me. I'm, I'm so thankful for that, that we're able to serve one another. But one mark that we are becoming like Christ is when we come to church and we say, what can I do to help the body? What can I do to help the body? I'm going to say something, and please hear my thought. I'm going to say it in weave, because I'm speaking to myself as well. If we want FBCO to be a better church, we must be better members. We must be better members. How can we serve the Lord in a better way? How can we serve this faith family in a better way? And to the church in Thyatira and to us, Jesus is saying, don't be discouraged, don't be distracted, don't be dissuaded, don't be diverted from what you're doing. Continue in your advancement and service to me. Don't stop. Don't quit. May your works for me be better in front of you than they are behind you. May we press on towards the goal for the prize. That's why the Apostle Paul said, forgetting what's behind. Forgetting what's behind. Pressing on to what is ahead. So the church is commended for its advancement. And then Jesus not only talks about the good things, then he talks about the bad, which leads us to the third truth. The church is now condemned for its acceptance. So the church is condemned for its acceptance. In the words of Vance Havner, he said this, The temple of truth has never suffered so much from woodpeckers on the outside as much as from termites on the inside. Listen, the church of Jesus Christ doesn't necessarily suffer from woodpeckers without. We suffer from termites within, those that eat away. In the midst of their work, there is an obvious sin that has been allowed to enter the church. And with a directness that almost takes our breath away, Jesus exposed the sin of tolerance that had infected this church. In fact, just look and, and listen to, to this description in verses 20 and 21. Jesus says, but I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. So the problem in Thyatira was an unhealthy tolerance. They, they recognized in their presence was a false prophetess, but they refused to deal with her. And let me just say this. Christ does not tolerate the toleration of a false teacher. 
Christ does not tolerate the toleration of a false teacher. And these believers did not flee false teaching. They did not stand against false teaching. They remained passive towards false teaching as if, oh, what are we supposed to do about it? And think about us. I think of the words of Pastor Sam Storms. Listen to what he says. Much of the church today is suffering from an advanced case of what I call spiritual osteoporosis. It's not widespread throughout the body of Christ, but it is concentrated along the spine. What I have in mind is the church's loss of theological backbone. Where we have so tolerated that we have lost our backbone. And think about this. Understand this. Oftentimes, this lack of backbone shows itself in the name of tolerance. And please hear me this morning. Please hear me this morning. It is a sin. It is a sin to be more tolerant than Jesus. It's a sin to be more tolerant than Jesus, to, to tolerate what he never would. And here's the, we live in a world where I love the, the saying, Jesus would love first. But I question the saying. Because it's like, we can't just take Jesus would love first and separate it. No, Jesus is just as much holy. He's just as much just. He's just as much all of those things as he is love. We can't just say, just take this one little section out and this is what he would do. Because to say that, Jesus would just love first, is to miss the whole point. It's like to act like, you know, have you even read the Bible? Like, have you even read the Gospels? Have you even read Jesus standing before the Pharisees saying, you're a bunch of whitewashed tombs, you bunch of vipers, you bunch of fools? I mean, have you, have you read it? Have you read it? I mean, yes, Jesus was going after their heart. Yes, Jesus wanted them in his kingdom, but he was standing against all of the false things of this world. And brothers and sisters, listen, we need to get a backbone. And I'm not talking about speaking politically. I'm not talking about speaking all these other things that we're talking about. I'm talking about speaking biblically. This is what the word of God says. And basing everything that we say and we believe upon what this book says. It is a sin to be more tolerant than Jesus, to tolerate what Jesus never would. And in case you want an example, let me give you an example. Jesus would never tolerate sin. He wouldn't tolerate sin. He died for it. Wouldn't tolerate it. Now back to Jezebel. So this is a name that is infamous and rightly so. She was probably the most wicked king in Israel's history. It has been well said that um, there are, there's a huge reason why we name our sons David and Paul, why we name our daughters Mary and Ruth, why we name our dogs Goliath and Nero, and why we name our cats Jezebel. Just saying, there's a reason. The reason being cats are evil. But, I mean, that's a whole nother subject for a whole nother day. If you have an email, send it to Pastor Jordan. He will gladly uh, take that on for me. But here's the, the picture is, Although Jezebel had been dead for over a thousand years, her spirit had found life in this church. Here Jezebel is a type of person. It's like a Benedict Arnold or a Judas. She was a powerful woman who had political control but also spiritual authority. This woman was seducing the believers into participating in the worship of false gods. Here's what she said. She gathered them together and she said, listen, you can go to these guild meetings. You can go to these parties. Yes, they're worshiping idols and doing all those things, but we know that idols aren't real. So we can participate in all of those things knowing that it's not real. So it won't affect us at all. And all the Christians were like, that's a great idea because guess what? Their flesh wanted a job. Their flesh wanted to be accepted. Their flesh wanted to have fun. 
So they went to those things. And guess what? The worship of God decreased and the level of sin in the church increased. They began to accept things that God never would. They began to adopt things that were acceptable to the world but unacceptable to God. And this person knew what was at stake and they refused to repent. And the lesson here is this, that every church should guard against three things that I see. First of all, guard against personality problems. Here's the thing that's really concerning me with the modern church. It seems to me, and maybe I'm wrong, but it seems to me that many modern churches are being built based on one personality. One pastor that has tons of charisma, tons of, of personality, and the church is building upon that one individual. And that's a scary thing. That's a scary thing to build a church based on a personality that's not Jesus. That's a scary thing. And that's why we, over and over again, we don't say around here we're, we're building, not building on a personality, not just because I don't have personality. We're saying it because this is ultimate. This is ultimate. My opinion, when all is said and done, doesn't matter. Listen, I could stand up here and I could give my opinion about politics, my opinion about worldviews, and all, these, all the things that, that we hear on a daily basis, but ultimately, those things don't matter. Meaning, it doesn't matter what I think. What matters is what God's word says. So therefore, the best thing I can do, or Pastor Jordan, or anyone who shares the word of God, is to tell us what the word of God says. What the word of God says. That's the best thing that we can do. And we want to be very careful. We're not building on a personality other than Jesus. We're building on him, on his word. The second issue, we need to guard against authority problems. So think about it. Jesus said this. He says, I have this against you that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. So Jesus didn't say she's a prophet. Jesus said she calls herself a prophet, meaning she had given herself authority. We've got to be careful of anyone who comes into the doors of this church looking for power, looking for a platform, looking for any, any place to share their beliefs. And, I, and I, I can tell you, maybe you don't understand this, but it happens tons and t- it happens a lot. People who come in, and the second they come in, and myself and, and, and Robert back there, we have a great little thing. If you walk into church and your first five minutes in the church is all about you, it's, it's, it's a bad thing. So the, if your first five minutes in a new church, it becomes all about you, that's a scary, scary thing. Because guess what? The next probably hour will probably continue to be about you. And we've got to be careful about those who are seeking authority and seeking to make everything about them. Because we say all the time, none of this is about us. It's about him. It's not about me. It's about him. So guard against personality issues and guard against authority problems and guard against morality problems. Meaning guard against anything that would call good evil and evil good. Because God himself said in the book of Isaiah, woe to those who call good evil and evil good. It's been said that when the church looks like the world, you have a polluted church. When the church acts like the world, you have a powerless church. But when the church plays with the world, you have a pathetic church. And although we're looking at Jezebel in this moment, don't miss the gracious and long-suffering character of Christ. Even with the spirit of Jezebel, Jesus says to her, repent. Repent. Jesus says, I'm giving you time to repent. Turn. I'm giving you time. But Jesus says, but you won't. She won't repent. And here's what we have to understand. Jesus' patience has its limits. Jesus will not indulge sin forever. Let me say it again. Jesus is no less holy and just as he is good and gracious. 
be careful. Be careful when you start taking certain character traits of Jesus and, and lifting them up above others. Because Jesus is just as much just, he's just as much holy as he is loving, gracious, and merciful. We cannot separate those things. In fact, let me put it this way. If you accept the world and the ways of this world, don't be surprised when you find no acceptance from Christ. If you accept this world and the ways of this world, do not be surprised when you find zero acceptance from Jesus. So the church is condemned for its acceptance, which leads us to the fourth truth, back to Christ. So Christ will correct with all authority. So Christ will correct with all authority. So Christ continues revealing his plan for this corrupted church by showing how he will correct this church and how he rules over this church. Look at verses 22 through 25. And if you believe in it, every time you see the words, I will, underline those. For they're powerful. Behold, Jesus says, I will throw her onto a sickbed. So I will throw Jezebel onto a sickbed. And those, meaning anyone in the church that is following her, who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. And I will give to each of you according to your works, but to the rest of you in Thyatira, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan. So let me just pause for a second. Jesus says, the deep things of Satan. Now, chances are in the church, they didn't call them the deep, deep things of Satan. Chances are they called them the deep things of God. Hey, come to our Bible study and you can learn the deep things of God. Come to our Bible study and we're going to go deeper. We're going we're to dig into a more spiritual sense. We're going to find our, our spiritual equilibrium together in him and all of these things. And they, they didn't call them the deep things of Satan. They called them the deep things of God. And then Jesus comes along and says, they're not of me. They're not of me. And then Jesus ends verse 25 by saying, Hold fast what you have until I come. So this judgment is designed to reveal Jesus as the one from whom we can't hide anything. He knows their deeds. He knows our deeds. He knows every mind and every heart. And know the progression and the intensity of the punishment from illness to intense suffering to death. And then Jesus adds these words, Unless they repent. Here's where we miss the, the, the mark so often. Anytime divine punishment happens in Scripture, so anytime we see divine punishment or divine justice in Scripture, the purpose, the ultimate purpose of divine punishment is for people to repent. The ultimate picture, so divine punishment is not punitive, it's redemptive. God is punishing, threatening to punish so that people will repent and turn back to Him. Let's, let's be honest today. And, course church is a good place to be honest christ does not expect perfection aren't you glad aren't you glad i mean we most of us didn't even make it 30 minutes up and we'd already messed up somehow some way or at least that's just me god doesn't expect perfection but let me tell you what he does expect he expects us to be a community of repenting sinners repenting sinners we repent and turn from our sins he expects us to call sin sin and Jesus is saying this, and he's speaking to the rest of the people in Thyatira, saying, listen, if you haven't given in, then hold on. Don't give in. Don't corrupt yourself. Don't tolerate false teaching. But ultimately, the message of Jesus to this church is repent. And it's the same message to us. Repent. Repent. Listen, we don't change God. God changes us. We don't look at God and say, well, God, you're just old-fashioned and outdated. 
Because to us, God would say, no, I'm eternal and without beginning and end. And then God would continue speaking to us, and he would say, you're the ones who sinned. You're the one who's aging. You're the one who's dying. I'm perfect. You're not. I don't need to change. You do. I don't have any defects in me, but you have plenty. I have no shortcomings, and you have many. For you see, if there's a problem between us and God, so if there's a problem between us and God, and this book says there is, if there's a problem between us and God, the problem is not God. The problem is us. And the problem between us and God is we have chosen sin over a holy God. We have chosen the ways of this world, the things of this world, the thoughts of this world, the beliefs of this world over the beliefs and thoughts and heart of God. And when we think about the authority of Christ, listen, the authority of Christ here in this section is emphasized in the very last part of verse 25 where Jesus says, hold fast to what you have until I come. Jesus' authority is emphasized in the fact that Jesus says, I'm coming. I'm coming. Hold fast. Hold fast to me because I'm coming. Hold fast to me in the world filled with chaos and confusion and false things because I am coming. Christ will correct with all authority, which leads us to the last truth, number five, the church, back to the church, the church is called to abide. The church is called to abide then and now. And let's break down verses 26 through 29 together. So Jesus says, to the one who conquers. And the idea of conquering doesn't mean that Jesus just give, puts us out on our own and we conquer and we come back to him saying, I've, I've killed thousands. The point is we don't conquer. Christ conquers through us. So we don't live this Christian life as if we're doing it ourselves. It's Christ living in us. And Jesus says, to the one who conquers and who keeps my works. This is the only time in the book of Revelation that we find the phrase, my works. And let me just say this. We say, we say it a lot around here. We are not, or we are saved by faith alone. So we're saved by faith alone, but faith that saves is never alone. It will always be accompanied by works. And the works, though, although they can't, we can't be justified by those works, nevertheless, we will be judged by those works. There is what's coming a day when it's called the, the judgment of the believer's works, where we will stand before Christ, we will stand before him, and we will have to um, face the, the judgment. We will be judged based on what we did for him. And in that moment, it won't determine whether we spend um, eternity in heaven and hell, because that's already been determined, but it will determine the reward we receive in heaven based on what we did for Christ here. And Jesus says, listen, keep my works. Works are never meant to be the ground of salvation, but they are evidence of salvation. They show that we have been saved. And then Jesus says, keep my works until the end. Not just the end of our lives, but until he comes. And then Jesus says this, to whom I will give authority over the nations. More on that in just a second. And he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces. Cool picture here. In that day, it was customary when kings went out to war that they, most kings would take a jar of clay and they would either write on a piece of paper inside or on the outside, they would put the king and the um, city or the, the country they were going against. And what they would do is they would call, the king would call all the people, all the warriors to himself, and he would take this jar with the enemy represented on it, and he would throw it down, and it would break in pieces. And what he was saying is, this is a declaration of war, and we will win. Declaration of war, and we will win. And what Jesus is saying here is this. 
Jesus is, when he comes again, he will declare war on all that is ungodly and not of him, and he will win. He will win. He will absolutely win. But here's what we need to understand. Sin, even sin in our lives, is declaring war against God. And Jesus is saying to his church, if you don't repent, you might find me warring against you. And then Jesus says this, Even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit, the church, says. So in closing, the promise that Jesus gives to us for those who abide, for those who conquer, are twofold. First of all, as he says very clearly here, that he will give us authority over the nations. So the prize is for faithfulness is a privilege to reign with Christ. So we're not just those who Christ is going to rule over. We are those with, with whom Christ will rule. So there is a weird sense by which we won't go into today, by which we will be co-rulers, co co-reigners with Christ. But then it gets better. For the second fold picture of the promise, for those who overcome, Jesus promises the morning star. So Jesus says this, if you overcome, if you make it to the end, if you survive, if you finish for me, I will give you the morning star. What is the morning star? I'm glad you asked. The morning star is Jesus. Jesus says to those who finish, I'll give you myself. To those who finish, you want to know what we get for this life of faith in this world in the midst of all the worldliness? We get Jesus. You know what we get in the midst of all the things that go against us, where things don't work out the way we think they should or would? We get Jesus. We get Jesus. In the present, Christ is all we need, and in the future, he'll be all we want. In the future, he will be all that we want. Let me put one more slide up just to show us the difference between this church at Thyatira. If you follow the deep things of Satan, you will end up with a fallen star. That's what Lucifer is called in Isaiah 14. So if you follow the deep things of Satan, you'll end up with Satan. And you will face the same punishment he faces. But if you follow Jesus, you'll end up with Jesus. You'll end up with a morning star and you will have him forever. Among our ranks, brothers and sisters, there should be a zero tolerance policy for false teaching. It's, we don't dabble with it. We don't laugh at it. We don't just ignore it. The souls of man are at stake. Instead of dabbling in false teaching, let's be so enraptured, let's be so captivated by the beauty of Christ and his word that anything is, that is not of him is not for us. So it's, if it's not of him, it's not for us. Let me say it again. In the present, Christ is all we need. In the future, he will be all that we want. May we give ourselves to him now. May we not hold back our, anything of ourselves from him. I'm going to ask you to stand as we call the musicians forward and enter into a time of invitation and consecration, a time of just reflection. And let's pray together. Fathers, we just reflect upon you and your word. But we do so, God, with the, the threat of corruption even in our own midst, the, the threat of corruption even in our own lives, God. That there is a threat by which if we are not careful, we will allow our hearts and our souls to be corrupted by that which is not of you. Lord, help us to be a people who, Lord, our, our greatest works for you are, are ahead of us and not behind us. Help us to be a people, Lord, who stand against false teachings, that we're not more tolerant than you are. That we don't try to act like somehow we are more loving and caring and gracious than you are.
or that we're more accepting than you are. Lord, help us just to hold to your word, to lock arms together as as a church, as a body of believers, understanding, God, that we need you. Jesus, we need you, but you've also made it to where we need each other. God, we need this body. We need every member of it, Lord, serving and doing what you've called us to do. Lord, loving each other, loving our community, loving our world. Lord, help us to not grow weary in well-doing. For in the end, we will reap a harvest if we do not lose heart. Finish this time, oh God. Finish, Lord. In Jesus' name.